And I have the privilege uh, this morning of introducing to you our speaker here in the second service. This is Tim Moore. Now, fun fact about uh, Tim that I didn't know uh, before was that he was actually uh, in the U.S. Air Force and actually was an instructor pilot on the T-37s. So fun little fact on, on Tim. Uh, and some of you that are in the Air Force know all about that, uh, which is several of you. But, hey, we're, uh, we're glad to have them here. Uh, you all uh, know Lamb and Lion Ministries got its start here many years ago with a guy named David Reagan. And if there's any Oakwood oldies here this morning, you probably know David Reagan. Well, David uh, has uh, since gone into retirement and is taking care of his wife and doing uh, lots of things that he needed to do. And so he handed the leadership of that off to the next generation, which is, is something that we need to do in ministry. And uh, Tim Moore is the one that took over as the CEO and the senior evangelist uh, for Lamb and Lion Ministries. Now, I, I've scoured and, and watched a lot of things. In my opinion, this is my opinion, but I think they're the foremost authority in end times prophetic um, in prophecy. They do conferences and speak at churches all over the country. Uh, you're going to be blessed today. You're going to be blessed tonight at 6 p.m. You're going to be blessed tomorrow night at 6 p.m. Um, Folks, take advantage of these opportunities to hear from the Word of God and allow these men to speak to us, to teach us the truth. Um, I just know you're going to be blessed this morning. So let's give a warm Oakwood El welcome to Tim Moore. Thank you, for, thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Well, thank you all very much. I'm delighted to be here. And it has been something I've been looking forward to along with Nathan Jones. And we understood the roots of this ministry started right here in Enid, Oklahoma, when Dr. Reagan left his position teaching at a college and actually being in administration to pursue what the Lord laid on his heart. And that was to proclaim the soon return of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what we do. We're going to have messages this morning and tonight and tomorrow pointing to Jesus' soon return, exciting you about the signs of the times, which is my message this morning. And everything we do is an endeavor to proclaim the soon return of Jesus Christ to as many people as possible as quickly as possible. But I got to tell you, even as I look forward to being here this morning, the verse that continually resonates in my heart in anticipation is from Romans chapter 1. And so I'll read for you from Romans 1, verse 11 and 12. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. And again, what a joy it is to be here. I've actually flown into Enid before, right down the, uh, the way at Vance, and I was delighted to come this weekend for a different purpose. You know, many years ago, Dr. David Reagan came to a church just like this in the cornfields of northern Indiana, where I was stationed at the time, a Christian church. And he presented messages on Jesus' soon return, and they were going to be on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and into the week, Monday and Tuesday evening. And my wife and I, me stationed at the time at that base, had to drive quite a ways to that church. As a matter of fact, the Christian church in this little town of Converse had more members than there were in the town. And so they came from all around. And my wife said, are we going to go back every night to hear these messages about Bible prophecy? That's a topic we had never been really exposed to. And I said, no, probably not. We'll, of course, be there on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. But when I heard the message that Jesus is coming soon, and messages from God's prophetic word. It so thrilled my heart that we were there at every service 
And now, 29 years later, I'm following in Dr. Reagan's footsteps to proclaim that very same message. What an exciting joy it is to represent, again, Lamb and Lion Ministries. I hope you'll come back this evening. After Nathan's presentation, we'll have a time of question and answer. I also hope you'll take advantage of some of the materials we've brought for you. Uh, samples of our magazine, The Lamplighter, some free booklets that we have. We even have some DVDs that are free. And we have a number of other materials, including what we think is the only children's book, Jesus Is Coming Again, as well as some books that will really thrill your heart to follow along with our messages. Well, we could talk about the importance of Bible prophecy. That's a whole presentation in and of itself. But the fact of the matter is here at Oakwood, you all obviously understand the importance of Bible prophecy. Otherwise, Eric and Alan, Rusty and the rest of the team would not have had us here to proclaim Jesus' return. But have you ever really dived into God's prophetic word? And do you understand all that we're witnessing even today in our contemporary moment regarding the signs of the times? Now, you know, there's some very strange signs out there. I read a newspaper headline one time that said, blind woman receives kidney from brother she hasn't seen in years. And you just have to wonder about some of the signs that are existing in our modern uh, media world. But no, those aren't the kind of signs we're talking about. You know, anytime I speak about signs of the times, and let me be frank, this is the message that Dr. Reagan encouraged me to deliver when I first began with Lamb and Lime Ministries eight years ago. Anytime we talk about signs, we get folks that want to push back and say, oh, come on, we can't discern anything regarding the timing of Jesus' return. They will often cite what the Lord himself says in Matthew chapter 24. But of that day and hour, the hour of his return, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. You know, oftentimes people want to close the book right there and say, see, we can't know anything, therefore there's no point in even studying God's prophetic word. But I think it's important that in this very passage, right there in Matthew 24, the Lord said, we should be on the alert, ready at all times for his appearing. And that was a consistent theme throughout Jesus' teaching and obviously throughout the teaching presented in the rest of the New Testament. So if we are to be on the alert, what should we be looking for? Well. I would dare say that Jesus was clear that we should be discerning of the very signs of the times. He had great disdain for the Pharisees who, as you can read, didn't even understand the signs being presented to them, even though they could discern the signs of the sky and of the weather. We also have a very similar parable to what Jesus is explaining right here. Red sky at night is sailor's delight. Red sky in morning, sailors and airmen take warning. And if we can understand those kinds of signs, why is it that we who have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit do not understand and recognize and discern the signs of the times that are around us today? I believe we absolutely can and should. I'll give you scriptural evidence for why I believe this. We're going to go real quickly through three passages. First Thessalonians chapter 5, Hebrews 10, 
and back again to Matthew chapter 24. So in 1 Thessalonians, the Lord says, through Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, now as to the signs and seasons, brethren, I'll add in sister and ladies for you all here, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come how? Everybody's heard this phrase, like a thief in the night. I had a friend said, well, I don't know the day or that the Lord's coming, but I know what time. I said, really, what? He said, it'll be at night. I said, well, what, what time zone do you live in? Because half the world's in dark and half's in daylight at all times. He said, well, I think it'll be a slow motion coming. No, 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 no. It's, it's not going to be a slow motion coming. The phrase, the Lord will come like a thief in the night, is because some will be totally off guard when he arrives. And sadly, many Christians read this passage and even that phrase, and again, they would close the book at this point. But Paul goes on to write, while they are saying peace and safety, then, sudden, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Did you notice the pronouns Paul uses even in this passage? In the first couple of verses, he's talking about you, you yourselves. Who's he referring to even with, you know, we're into pronouns these days. So let's talk about pronouns. Who's Paul referring to? in these two verses. You, the church at Thessalonica, and by extension, all believers and followers of Jesus Christ. That includes us here today. You yourselves know that he will come like a thief in the night. But then in verse 3, he shifts the pronouns. And he says, while they are saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them, and they will not escape. Who is he referring to here? the unbelieving world, those who are not in Christ Jesus, they will not escape. And then again in verse 4, Paul goes back to saying, but you are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. And then finally in verses 5 and 6, Paul is so excited about the joyful news that Jesus is coming and that we can and should discern the day or the, the, I should say, the age, the season of his return that he includes himself and says, we are not of night and darkness, so then let us not sleep, but let us be alert and sober. We can go to chapter 10 of Hebrews. Uh, well, before I even do that, I would go on and say, Paul said, then God has not attain, uh, destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you are doing. Just as I read in Romans, your very presence here today, the fact that you are gathered together and that you've come this morning is an encouragement to me. But on that note, the writer of Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembling together, as is the habit of some, but do what? Encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day is he referring to? Well, he goes on to say in verse 27, the day of judgment, the day of the Lord. In other words, the writer of Hebrews assumes that we will discern the day is drawing near, and then we'll redouble our effort to encourage one another. 
Do you see the day drawing near? Are you encouraging one another to love and to good deeds? I pray that you are. Jesus also, back to Matthew 24, said, even now, as so, even so, you too, when you see these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. If we are to recognize he is near right at the door, we have to see, we have to discern the very signs that are provided for us. You might say, okay, I get it, but, but what, what does that have to do with me in today's day and age? Because some of these prophecies are ancient. But again and again, the Lord said through his prophets that he would reveal things that were for those who have discernment. Jesus said over and over again, for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. He said, my sheep hear my voice. I speak in parables so that the world does not understand, but so that you will understand. And of course, sometimes even the disciples themselves were a little bit slow-witted, shall we say, until later they received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who revealed to them all Jesus had said and meant. Brothers and sisters, we today in the year 2022 have the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. And so we should discern what God has revealed. Well, I would just submit to you that there are an abundance of signs in Scripture that point to Jesus' first coming. Do you ever think about that? There are over 300 signs in the Old Testament that pointed to his first coming. Now, we consider that about 109 of them are individual and distinct. But in the Old Testament alone, there are 500 signs that point to his second coming. And if you turn to the New Testament, one about, out of every 25 verses references Jesus' return, his second coming. It's as if as important as the first coming was, the second coming is even more glorious and important. And so God wants us to recognize when we are living in the season of Jesus' return. So why so many more signs? Well, I just explained it. Because God wants you and me to realize that we're living on borrowed time. Why would God reveal himself? And why has he waited so long? Well, Peter describes this in 2 Peter chapter 3. By his word, the present heavens and earth are being preserved for the hour and the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. But the Lord is not slow about his promises, as some would count slowness. Instead, he is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I've said before, if I had my way, the Lord would have already been here. As a matter of fact, uh, after I heard these messages and they so thrilled my heart, I was ready in 1993 for Jesus Christ to come right then. Surely he wouldn't wait to the year 2000, I thought. As 2000 came and went, I said, well, we probably don't have another 10 to 20 years because things are getting really bad. And I can imagine that Jesus is ready to burst from heaven. But here we are in 2022. Why has he waited? Because if he came on Tim Moore's timing, then the beautiful little girl this morning wouldn't have had a chance to profess her faith and be baptized. Perhaps you, or you, would not have already put your faith in Jesus Christ. So the Father is waiting until the fullness of the church comes in, and every person who will 
trust in Christ has the opportunity to do so. Now, this brings up a very important theological point. You know, God would actually contradict his own nature if he did not give opportunity for people to put their faith in Christ before pouring out his wrath. He demonstrated this over and over again, even in the Old Testament. He sent angels to warn Sodom and Gomorrah and to help Lot and his family flee before the destruction was poured out. He sent Jonah, a very reluctant prophet, to Nineveh to warn the people there that judgment was about to fall upon them. And they had the opportunity to repent, which caused God to relent for a season. Now, folks, God in his mercy always warns before he pours out judgment. And with judgment hanging over the world right now, I believe that he is warning and giving every opportunity for us to come to salvation. So what are the quote-unquote signs of the times? And by the way, if you need later, you can pick up a handout. It's on the table in the back just to be able to jot these down. But the signs of the times, as Dr. Reagan categorized them, fall into six categories. Signs of nature, society, spiritual signs, signs of world politics, signs of technology, and signs of Israel. We're going to quickly go through these this morning. And then this evening, Nathan is going to talk about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And we'll have a time of question and answer. I hope you'll come back. The Q&A time is one of our favorite moments to interact and to answer your questions that are sparked by our various presentations. And then tomorrow, I'll give you an overarching timeline of the end and let you know where we stand even today. But this morning, let's jump in with the signs of nature. Well, not signs like this or... I wonder where this is. Where in the world do you have falling cows? I thought that was an interesting warning sign of some of the natural perils that uh, exist in this world. No, the signs of nature, which are multiplying before our very eyes. And yet, people dismiss them. You know, back to Romans chapter 1, Paul wrote that since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, talking about God, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen. Clearly seen in what? In the very creation order itself. And being understood by all, they are without excuse who deny the reality of God. No, the natural signs are there for anyone to see, which is why Jesus said, First and foremost, there will be signs in nature. There will be famines and earthquakes, plagues and terrors and signs from heaven. And certainly we've seen these even in recent memory. And Jesus gave another interesting clue about these signs, and it really applies to all the categories of signs. He said they will be like birth pains. Ladies, anyone here who's had a baby can tell you that although a doctor may give a predicted due date, nobody knows for sure when a baby is going to arrive, do they? I've got another grandchild due in February. I'm counting down the days to that due date. It's actually on my computer is how many days are left. I think we're down to 118. But nobody really knows when that baby's going to arrive. And yet at some moment, birth pangs will start. How will they begin? They will begin infrequently and mild, and they will increase in frequency and intensity until the very moment that baby comes. Sometimes it's hard for us to discern in the moment in which we live that these various signs have been increasing in intensity 
and in frequency. And if we could step back from the moment, we'd realize that the Lord is at the very gates of heaven. Well, I served in the Kentucky legislature for 13 years, and while I was there, we received a magazine called Governing Magazine. I don't know if you can read the subtitle underneath the, uh, the title of this particular article, A Climate of Change, but it says, governments throughout the country are touting the need for resilience in the face of ever more frequent natural disasters. Do you think the editors of this magazine had any idea that they were proclaiming the fulfillment of Bible prophecy? But they were. Because even the secular world recognizes that natural disasters are happening all the more frequently and they're all the more destructive. And it's not just due to climate change, y'all. It's the prophetic fulfillment of what God said would happen in the end times. Well, sadly, this is the category most people will dismiss and scoff at immediately. They will fulfill what Peter said back to 2 Peter chapter 3. Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Do you ever think about the fact that when Peter cites these scoffers, they recognize that there was a creation. These scoffers, these mockers Peter is describing are within the church because the secular world doesn't even accept the creation account as given by God himself. No, these are people within the church who say, oh, come on, my grandparents were looking for Jesus. He didn't come in their lifetime. And their grandparents were looking for Jesus. And there's always been storms and disasters. There's nothing new here. Well, there's nothing new in the sense that, yes, there have always been storms and famines and disasters, but the increase in intensity, the increase in frequency is exactly what Jesus foretold. Certainly, brothers and sisters, we cannot be among the scoffers. Well, the next category of sign is one that I think everybody here would recognize if you've been alive more than 20 years, and that's signs of society. Who would have guessed in the year 2000 how far and how fast our country would have fallen into paganism, secularism, and abomination? Anybody here? Did it break anybody's heart? We can talk about that this evening. But this category is multiplying before our very eyes. Jesus said, again, back in Matthew 24, because lawlessness has increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. How were the days of Noah? Well, when the Lord looked down, he saw that wickedness and evil and violence was throughout the earth. Over these last couple of years, even in this country, we've witnessed a rise in wickedness and evil. Paul, writing to Timothy, described the end times, difficult times, when men will be lovers of so many different things except God. And if I pull out the actual words that they love, they love self, they love money, and they love pleasure. That sounds like an ad campaign from... Madison Avenue, you watch TV today and see if you aren't appealed to on the basis of loving yourself, loving money, and loving power. Now, we have fallen into the very pit 
that is described in Scripture as representing the end times. This is perhaps no better example than our nation's rapid embrace of abomination. This is the U.S. Embassy in Tel Aviv before it was moved to Jerusalem. While I was there in 2014, we drove past, and right under the American flag, flying alongside of it is the flag of Noah, right? That's what that represents. What does that multicolored flag represent to you all? See, see, God gave the rainbow to represent his promise to not do what? To ever again flood the earth. And yet that very promise of God has been appropriated, and all you know what it means. And the United States, from 2014 forward, is declaring to the world, these are American values. I could go on and on about how presidents from Barack Obama to our current President Biden are going around the world literally shaking their finger sometimes in the face of foreign leaders saying, you need to embrace homosexuality and transgenderism because that's American values. Your tax dollars at work. I could give you example after example. I won't other than to say that we not only tolerate abomination we celebrate it in this country god help us well what about spiritual signs you see this category has both negative and positive signs and so on the negative side we've seen a rise in cults and false prophets a rise in heresy and apostasy even within the church whole denominations that now deny the deity of christ the virgin birth, the miracles, the resurrection, or any possibility that he's coming again. And yet they claim to be Christian churches. I'm reminded of what William Booth said. William Booth, of course, lived over 100 years ago. He founded the Salvation Army. And he said by the end of the 20th century, the church, and he meant by this the church in America, would embrace Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, Salvation without regeneration, and heaven without hell. Boy, that sounds like most Sunday morning sermons in many of our churches and on most of the television preaching that you would see. We've arrived at this brave new world. Well, we also see a rise in persecution, even in this country. I'll give you examples later tonight. I don't have time to now. How? In America, there are people who have been put in jail for their faith. We have a friend of our ministry who was sitting in the food court of the Mall of America, and someone asked him about his faith, and he was sharing Jesus Christ, and he was arrested by the mall cop, taken to the mall jail. I didn't know they had jails in malls. And then carted off by the local police for doing what? For sharing his faith in public at the Mall of America. What in the world has happened to us? Well, I will say on a very positive side, because I promised there would be some positives with this category, we've seen an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the preaching of the gospel, and yes, an understanding of Bible prophecy. What do I mean by an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? The kind of worship we enjoyed this morning, coming before the very throne of heaven to praise the Lord in a Davidic style of worship. Preaching of the gospel, well, just in the last hundred years, through modern technology used for godly purposes, we've seen evangelism go around the world. It's estimated that Billy Graham alone preached to over a billion people. 
something unheard of in past generations. And regarding the understanding of Bible prophecy, over and over again in Scripture, we're told that in the end times, people will understand Bible prophecy in ways that the prophets themselves often couldn't. Daniel didn't understand all of his prophecies. And the Lord said, go your way, Daniel. In the end times, people will understand because they'll have the advantage of hindsight and, of course, as I've already said, the advantage of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Well, I'll move on to world political signs. The Bible says that in the end times there will be a reconfiguration of the nations. You will see wars and rumors of wars, nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And sadly, in the original Greek, it's not just nation states as we think about. It's tribes and, and ethnicities and what we would call races, foreign concept in the day and age of Scripture. But peoples having animosity toward one another. And all you have to do is turn on the nightly news and see how our media stokes it in our country, rising in hatred against one another. But this end-time configura configuration of nations, which my slide is not unrevealing there, but I'll just tell you, the end-time configuration is that Israel itself will be reestablished it will be surrounded by hostile nations. It will be menaced by Russia. By Russia? Back to Barack Obama. He said, the Russian bear has been defamed. There's no Russian threat anymore. Well, really? Tell that to Ukraine today. Tell that to Israel now that Russia is eyeing a threat to its own gas supply as Israel is about to supply gas to Europe. Now, Russia is again menacing from the north. The Roman Empire has been revived in the form of the European Union, and there again is an epidemic of wars and rumors of wars to where even our president talks about nuclear holocaust in a very matter-of-fact manner at a fundraising dinner. What in the world is going on? What about signs of technology? This is something you might not think about in terms of a Bible prophecy presentation, but it is so critical to our understanding of how various miraculous things are coming to pass. Daniel, again, wanted to know how he would understand, and the Lord said, conceal these words, the very prophecy, until the end of time. Many will go back and forth, and knowledge will increase. The Living Bible Prayer Phrase puts it this way. Keep this prophecy a secret and seal it until the end of time so that it will be understood when travel and knowledge is greatly increased. I like to take people to Israel. We go and we typically leave out of Dallas, fly into Germany and then to Tel Aviv. And people say, oh, that was such a long trip. It was like 10 hours. Really? 10 hours. Mark Twain went 150 years ago. It took him about six weeks. Your forebears that came to Oklahoma probably walked or rode by wagon from the East Coast in a journey of many months. And now you can get on a plane and be there in less than two hours. Now, we have greatly increased our ability to travel. And as far as knowledge, probably everyone in the audience over age 15 has a little device in your pocket that gives you access to all the information in the world. Not necessarily any of the wisdom, but all the information. We have exploded knowledge. It's estimated that the Sunday edition of the New York Times has more information, more content, than your great-grandparents were exposed to in a lifetime. 
Again, knowledge without wisdom. But there are other examples. I could cite, for example, Revelation chapter 11, where it says that these two great witnesses will testify about Jesus Christ for three and a half years. Halfway through the tribulation, the Antichrist will kill them. They will lie in the streets of Jerusalem, and the whole world will look upon them for three days, celebrating. They'll actually exchange gifts. Oh, we're finally shed of those troublers. And they'll give presents to one another. How in the world could everyone look upon some Two people lying in the streets of Jerusalem. Your grandparents, great-grandparents thought, well, maybe the Lord will give them supernatural vision. Maybe it'll be a, a miracle where the whole world can look upon. Well, we take for granted. All they got to do is aim a camera, beam that transmission up to a satellite, and the whole world can watch. To this day, when I go to Israel, I tell my family, hey, I'm going to be standing in the, at the Western Wall Plaza at such and such a time waving at you. And they'll get online and they'll watch me wave. Through modern technology, we understand how Bible prophecy itself will be fulfilled. Another example of technology is just the exponential rise in all of these signs, whether it's something like the world population or tragically the national debt. This, is, this chart's a little bit old. If it was current, that red spike on the far right of the right chart would be about 30 feet out your ceiling of this church. That's how rapidly our debt has accelerated. All of these signs are like birth pains. But that brings us to the most exciting category of signs of all. And that's why we love to take people to Israel. And that is the signs of Israel. Again, your great-grandparents couldn't understand how in the world God would bring about motivating the Jewish people to want to return to that God-forsaken land. Mark Twain said, there's nobody there. It's desolate. It's empty. It's a wasteland. It is God-forsaken. And yet, God's Word said that the Jews would return to Israel in the end times. So sure enough, beginning in the early 20th century, they began to trickle back. Even then, many Christians are like, ah, that's nothing to, to pay any attention to. Most Jews are very happy in places like Germany and Poland and Russia. But over time, that trickle turned into a torrent such that Jeremiah prophesied the end-time return of the Jews to Israel would be even more miraculous than the delivery from Egypt. Do you know to this day, Jews, whether they're secular or religious, celebrate the Passover? Some of them don't even give credit to God, but they remember the Passover as an event that marks them as a people. They still commemorate from thousands of years ago God's delivery of them from captivity in Egypt. And yet, Scripture says that their regathering from the four corners of the earth will be even more miraculous in the end times. And we have virtually witnessed that before our very eyes. In 1900, there were 40,000 Jews in Israel, what is now Israel. At the end of World War II, there were only 650. Why? Because they weren't allowed to immigrate. Great Britain did not allow Jews to come to their own homeland throughout the horrors of World War II, indeed, till 1948. But today, over 7 million Jews, half the Jews in the world, live in Israel and claim citizenship in Israel. A modern-day miracle. 
the nation was reestablished. Where? In the promised land, as declared by God. Ezekiel himself said that he would take the sons of Israel from among the nations where he had scattered them again, every corner of the earth, and will bring them back and make them one nation in the land. Not Israel in the north and Judah in the south, one nation. Isaiah puts it this way, before she travailed, she gave birth. Before the pain came, she gave birth to a boy. Who has heard such thing? Who has heard of seeing such things? Can a land be born in one day? Can a nation be brought forth all at once? The answer is yes. And on May 14th, 1948, Israel was born. And then the birth pangs began as all the surrounding Arab nations declared war on the new state. Even the United States military and State Department said there is no way the Jews will survive. There are millions of Arabs. They hate them. They will drive them into the sea and slaughter them. Thankfully, Harry Truman had been to Sunday school, and so he supported Israel with the weight of the United States immediately. And indeed, they did survive, and they're still there today. Well, the word of God also proclaimed that the Jews would reoccupy Jerusalem. Zechariah said that in the end times, old men will sit in the streets, children will play in the streets. There will be Jews in Jerusalem. You know, in 1948, they won the war of independence, but they were exiled from Jerusalem. The city was walled off, and Jews could not enter the old city for any reason. It's supposed to be an international city. No, it was not, until 1967, when the Jews recaptured the old city. That's during my lifetime. Were any of you alive in 1948 when Israel became a state? I'm sure several of you were alive in 1967 when they reclaimed Jerusalem. Do you remember the excitement that was in churches, that churches throughout America expressed when the prophetic word of God came to pass right before your very eyes? Right? Right? No? Do you know what the attitude of most churches in America was in 1948 and again in 1967 when this prophetic word was fulfilled? <sighs> what? Apathy. Total lack of recognition to the significance of what God was bringing about in our own day and age. And sadly, that same apathy and ignorance lingers even today. Now, the chief rabbi of the Israeli Defense Force, Shlomo Gorin, rushed to the Western Wall, blew a shofar, and said, I proclaim to you the beginning of the Messianic age, because he understood that when the Jews were back in the city, back in control of their ancient capital, the Messianic age was upon us. Why do we as Christians not have the same recognition and discernment as this Jewish rabbi. Well, I pray that we do now. The Lord also says in his word that there'll be a refocusing of attention on Jerusalem. Zechariah declares that the very city itself will become like a cup that will cause reeling to all the nations around. And I can tell you today, if something happens in Jerusalem, it's immediately broadcast as headline news around the world. The attention of the world is on Jerusalem. And it will be from this point forward. Did you realize that you were virtually witnessing in your lifetime the fulfillment of four great prophecies, the regathering of the Jewish people, the reestablishment of Israel, the reoccupation of Jerusalem, 
and the refocusing of world attention on that great city, Zion. Brothers and sisters, I got to tell you that the fulfillment of these four prophecies alone demonstrates that we are living in the season of the Lord's return. There are two famous characters in history, one being a great czar in Russia, the other being a famous king in France who asked their advisors, prove to me the existence of God. And the two-word answer in both instances was simply the Jews. The Jews prove that God is real because there's no other way that the, a people like them could have been preserved and protected all through the ages unless it was miraculous and the hand of God at work. And the regathering of the Jewish people, the reestablishment of, as a nation, demonstrates that God has fulfilled and is fulfilling every promise, as we know he will. Well, we have a booklet out here I, I talk about looking forward to the reign of Jesus Christ that talks about God bringing us salvation. If we have put our faith and trust in him, as Nathan described this morning, you can be part of God's prophetic plan where he's coming for the church to gather us to himself, to take him to the place he has prepared for us. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, said, today is the day of salvation. Today, not tomorrow, because you're not promised another day. Jesus could come this very afternoon. And if he doesn't come for what we in the South like to say, all y'all, then he could come for you. Whether it's by that airplane Nathan described or a truck or a heart attack, you're not given the promise of another day or another hour. Let me just make one other observation. Here in just a moment, being a Christian church, praise the Lord, we're going to share in communion. We're going to share in commemorating the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. His perfect sacrifice given for us. But you ever read what Paul had to say about communion in 1 Corinthians? A lot of people focus on the words where he cites Jesus' recounting of this wonderful act of commemoration, of remembering his death, of celebrating his sacrifice, of, of worshiping him for his finished work at the cross of Calvary. But in chapter 11, verse 26, Paul says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this wine, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Brothers and sisters, we've just touched on the signs of the times, and in a presentation even this long or brief, however you want to look at it, we've only touched the surface. But the Word of God is full of prophetic promises that you can see coming to pass before your very eyes if you'll just open them. And if you'll pray for the very discernment God expects you to have. And then whether it's taking communion or living and serving him each and every day, you can recognize that all these things that we do as part of the family of God are until he comes. Soon and very soon, the father is going to say to the son, go 
and get your bride. And then the heavens are going to split, and Jesus is coming for us.